I wanted to talk about. Can we talk about Invisalign on the show? Or yes, do you not wanna, could, I would love to. Did we already talk about it? Because I feel like someone should just start three D printing those trays, yes. and then it could become super cheap. That's such a good idea. It could be like contact lens. Yeah, why or Warby Parker. Why or can't something? someone just disrupt the 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 braces industry with homemade trays? Homemade three D printed trays. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Are we recording? Yeah, or we might as well. Let's just roll it. This will oh, be a I soft see. start. This will be pre credits. Okay. So your idea is to. I think what. I think we talked about this in the show, but maybe you could just eventually do some, some kind of scan of your current mouth, of your current bite, mm-hmm. and then like model what the what the best endpoint is. Yes, and then just do like uh, all the steps, interpolate all those steps along the way, and print out a three D tray of all those steps along the way. Of all the Invisalign, it should be so cheap. Well, here's the thing: when you go in there, and I didn't know this, they literally graft like horns to you. Basically, get horn implants on your teeth. See these little bumps. To make the thing stick or yeah. something? Yeah. Oh. So that the Invisalign can stay. Interesting. And when I got it, I was like, I was not a cool customer. <laughs> At first, I was like, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm just uh, putting the attachments. And I was like, on my actual teeth? Oh, okay. Like, I thought this was like a gum shield, like a little mouth guard. Yeah, yes. that's what I thought it was too. That's what I thought too. And then I was like, oh my God, now I have permanent... Like for almost a year of my life, I will have these kind of like notches. And then how do they get, how do they remove not notch, it then? But a Is little like, knob. I think at the end, I don't know. Maybe like they file have, it down or something. Or maybe. How do you not just but, tongue that all the time? I'd just be playing with those bumps because you know, it doesn't like, feel good. Yeah, like it's not the kind of thing where it's like, oh, it's fun to kind of jiggle it. It's just like it feels like there's like a like hardened mole, tiny mole hill on each tooth. Oh. Like it feels like sandy kind of. Ugh. And yeah, and also they have to like figure out your your specific like I but maybe there could be a way like where it could photograph your mouth online. I bet that I yeah, bet there uh, will be like at online home molding and then what's yeah. Wrong I was just checking to make sure it was all story. Oh yeah, yeah. Is I this bet, this is yeah. all staying in the episode? We're we're gonna do pre credits. I think uh, so. Okay. I think maybe we edit out some of the discussion as to whether this stays in the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like it. Should we kick it do off we then? leave it jagged or do we give this episode Invisalign? Right? <laughs> Roll credits. <laughs> Probably science. Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. <laughs> I am Matt Kirshen, joined by Andy Wood. Hello. And that other voice you heard... Uh, was Lizzie Koopman. Hello. Hi. Invisalign wearer. Invisalign wearer. I haven't popped the trays back in yet. I feel like there should be some yeah. kind of rap lyric, like, and yeah. I'd be popping the trays, like, <laughs> it's like a skateboard trick whoever or something. pops them. Oh, that's what they look like. Yeah, okay. they're like this. So they look like my own jagged teeth right now. These look like my distorted fangs. And then every week I put in a new tray. Uh-huh. And then I think the idea is that They'll seamlessly just become Slowly, perfect. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, how, how, but they're kind of... How far into it are you? Did you already say? I'm on week three, but I lost one of my trays over the weekend ah. um, on a very elaborate pink carpet at the Madonna Inn. And then I was already like two hours away when the hotel called and they were like, we found your Invisalign trays. Uh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is a tough one because I'm switching it out on Tuesday. And I was like... I'm just going to wear last week's and hope yeah. that my teeth will just adapt. Make a two-week jump in one week? Yes, exactly. I um, had a I had a palate expander as a kid, which was a really weird medieval... A palate expander? Have you heard of those or seen those? <laughs> no, but I feel like that would make your... 
Yeah, it's weird. It was across, uh, you know, it was. You're uh, like, and now I love Asian fusion. <laughs> I didn't even think of that part of it, yes. <laughs> the metaphorical phalanx. Yeah, it was uh, across like two molars on each side on the top row of teeth, and there was a key, and every night my mom would have to stick what? this thing in and, and give it a half turn, and it would just push my Like teeth a little, did apart. a music play like... Yeah, it was a little ballerina in my mouth. Uh, which uh, German scientist invented this? Yeah, right? My brother used to make fun of me. He would say he was making my whole face expand, which I guess it probably was because it was expanding those bones. But um, I guess incredible. it was to get ready for braces, and then I never got the braces, and I kind of wish I had, but I mean, whatever. So was your mouth smaller than... I think the orthodontist thought that that it was going to be too small, and then that would be like step one towards getting actual braces. Or I, 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 don't I, know I had was... braces, and then for like half a year, I had to wear like the headgear at night, really? but luckily not during the really? day. But like, yeah, I had like the full like, to- like the remedial kind of... <laughs> Yeah, like I love of, it. It was like it sort of went. I remember it sort of went round, like round the back of my head, and it uh, and it clipped onto two little hooks on the braces, and sort of just pulled my teeth back. Did it? That's. Was it hard to sleep with it? Do you remember what it was like? I don't to... remember. I think it was at because it was just weird. More than yeah. it wasn't painful. It was just like a constant bit of tension. Did your parents ever warn you not to wear headphones to sleep because it could strangle you? That was always like a thing. It was like. Don't fall asleep in those. Like headphones were like the enemy. <laughs> that sounds like something Riley Newton's mom would have done. Really? <laughs> we talked oh, with her in the podcast. She's been on the podcast. She's been on the podcast, but I don't think we talked about her mom and her so Her mom, when they would drive over bridges, her mom would make them all take off their shoes in case <gasps> the car went into the water and they had to swim. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think we might have talked about that. On the- it's my favorite thing ever. <laughs> what kind of... I mean, that's like... Bridge. That's some, oh. that's some German scientist. That's some fucking like, let's see what kind of like psychosis we can get give these kids like every time you're crossing your bridge you're supposed to picture your watery death that is incredible does that give you so much insight it, into, it, riley? into riley it does it does take off your shoes kids but there that are this whole cultural i think we've talked about this on the show before and now i'm trying to remember which country which country is it that the whole country believes that sleeping with a fan on will kill you i don't know is it the same country that unplugs toasters when they're not using them because they think they're just going to start toasting on their of their own accord <laughs> That's the thing people, like, I know people who just will never have a toaster plugged in unless it's being used. Really? Like, do you not trust the rest well, of your appliances? To, like, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit like that. When uh, I leave, I need to unplug things. Oh, okay. Well, I am, I don't unplug, like, fans, but I unplug a coffee pot just because I feel like it might just then it's a, a step beyond it's... turning it off. Oh, so it's, like, making sure you really, okay. Being like, did I turn did it off? I, yeah. Well, now I know. And I used to do this thing. I went through a period where I would get kind of nervous about that stuff. And someone told me that if you a way to remember that you've turned something off is to run your hand over the socket and make a noise while you're doing this it. This is so most of like, shit for real. This is great. I would go like this. <laughs> I would run my <laughs> like if I use like a hair straightener, I'd unplug it, then run my hand over the socket and go. <laughs> <laughs> I would love if that just became then, part of your life. You didn't even care if people were around. You would just start doing that wherever you are. At work, you unplug your laptop <laughs> under your desk. The whole writing staff is like, what are you? It's re- it really helped because then I was like, did I unplug it? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, who can forget going <sighs> at 9.15 in the morning? That's awesome. <laughs> but then sometimes you'd have to vary the noises because you're like, okay, hair straightener, <gasps> coffee pot. <gasps> 
And then you'd be like, okay, I got it. <gasps> yeah, like, yeah, I'm good. You're like, I'm this good has improved my life a lot. Yes. <laughs> I'm a lot less crazy now I have this. Um, Korea. Korean f- fan death is a popular myth and misconception common to Korean culture that running an electric fan in a closed room with unopened or no windows can lead to death. Despite no concrete evidence, fan death persists due to its popularity as an urban myth or perhaps superstition. And electric fans sold in South Korea are equipped with a timer knob switch that turns them off after a set number of minutes. It's perceived as a life-saving function, particularly essential for bedtime use. I love the proposed causes of it. There's a whole... Oh, this proposed is a causes, long... Yeah, hypothermia, hypothermia, asphyxiation by oxygen displacement and carbon dioxide intoxication. Wow, like, how could that do that? That's incredible. And the government's waiting on it? Yep. And it's specifically South Korea, so North Korea... Well, I don't know. I th- any... Well... It sort of says Korea at the top of this Wikipedia article and then like says South Korea in that little box where it's talking about the timing knobs, but maybe there's less information for obvious reasons coming out of North Korea. Wow. And what death. is the reasoning behind it? Uh, there's various. There... They're saying hypothermia or maybe hyperthermia. Over so too cold, or underheating. Or not enough oxygen. Are possible, possible explanations. But not really possible. God. Just things that are in this Wikipedia article. I think that's before so funny. We- that's like one. Like I feel like fans are dangerous for so many other. I bought a fan recently and I didn't like hook it in correctly. Mm-hmm. You know the thing. This is like headphones. I don't know why this is like a theme of like don't stick your finger in the. But like remember being like don't touch the fan. Don't get too close to the fan. Like yeah, when you were yeah, little, yeah, it was yeah. like the same as like the paper cutter. Yeah. But I recently did accidentally have my finger. And no, it bad. wasn't that bad. Not that bad. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. If it's the front side, it would, the back still... side would be worse than the front side of a fan uh, because it, the back side would be like the sort of blade. You know, the front right. side you'd be hitting the tail yeah. end of the. But still, right. fans are intentionally not sharp. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. not like yes, <laughs> yes, they don't make them with like knives. Yeah, and they don't, and they also don't spin at the speed of like a helicopter <laughs> rotor or anything because they right because like they're meant to move the air, not the fan. Right. That's incredible. So if it were moving at a stronger... Yeah, like helicopter rotors will right. and plane propellers will and definitely... And then it would do, like lift the fan. Damage you. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I have a fan that's too powerful. I thought it would be just like a... It's like a $10 Target fan and it's so powerful. I have to put things on the floor behind it or else it'll just like move across the floor during really? the night. Because it pushes itself so hard. I got hardwood floors. Yeah, so I have to have like I have, I have to have a toolbox and two slippers to give traction. Like, the tool, and it'll a push, sitcom. It'll push the toolbox my... <laughs> also. Yeah, yeah. Just, it'll be picked up on FX. Just to be clear, though, you don't have window. You open a window when you've got that fan running to avoid death. <laughs> of course, yeah. I don't okay. want fan death. Yeah, no one wants fan death. Um, That's hey, incredible. Yes, Lizzie, we are, uh, ask our guests this before we get into the stories. Normally, okay. um, what if anything is your background in science? And well, go for it. Really? Yeah. Okay, my yeah, background in science... Wait, no, Wasn't please. there something that we were like, we got to save... There, there was something we had to save for the podcast, and I forgot what it even was now, though. Wasn't there something you said... Oh, uh, you know what it is? Is that... Well, here, here's my... I'll tell you my actual background in science. Okay. Yeah. Was when I was young, I was really into astronomy. Okay. Um, so that was a background, my background in science. What about it but, interested you? I don't know, getting attention from my dad. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Being like, now do you love me? I like the moon. <laughs> no. I don't, I, don't, I don't really know. I just know that when I was young, I like wanted science encyclopedias, and I, yeah. I cool. read them like they were books. Yeah. Just, I just wanted to know about the earth. 
And then more recently, I learned more about science because I got Lyme disease a year and a half ago. I remember talking to you when that just happened. Yes. Do you do? Yeah. We did that uh, gig at the Copper Still and you were like, I think I might have. Yes. That was when I was getting sick and I was going like crazy. Yeah. That's so the, that that's the tick, took me that's down. The tick one? Yes. Ugh. I was bitten by a tick. I had a year and a half of just like nonstop. And it's been insane. What are the symptoms of Lyme disease? Well, it's different for everybody. And okay. that's why it's so hard to diagnose. And people go misdiagnosed with all these other diseases. Like now they're finding a lot of people who think they have like MS and chronic fatigue and even ALS and stuff have Jeez. actually have Lyme. And also because the testing is so inaccurate. It's like... The, the test that the CDC gives is like 50% accurate. Jesus. They say th- it's 30 to 60% accurate, which is like, what does that even mean? But that's mm. basically like being like, hey, uh, do I have AIDS? Uh, pick a hand. Okay. Yeah. No, no, go on your merry way. Like, well, because which, it is like which that. Direction, I mean, yeah. In which direction is I it? I only say that because Maybe it's the 30 a to big si- deal. Yeah. Maybe the 30 to 60 is... Is a possibility of a false positive or a false negative because tests have both of those, right? And generally, it's generally it's preferable when you're designing a test to make false positives more likely than false negatives because it's much worse to tell someone they don't have it when they do than to tell someone they do have it and then further testing and go actually we were wrong. There's actually is there something happening? <laughs> oh, there's just people walking past. Above oh, there, there. I was like, is there a tick up there? Yeah. <laughs> Don't let it They're happen again. I just her have like tick-tar, PTSD. Her TikTok is on point now, right? <laughs> her TikTok. Yeah. yeah, it's actually like uh so the CDC, there's a whole it's a whole political thing too, because none of it is covered by insurance. What? Yeah, the if CDC you, can prove you have it, you can't you still can't yes, get it covered. The CDC says, Oh, two weeks of antibiotics cures Lyme disease, which is not true. If you see the bite right away and you take medication for two weeks, there's a chance it'll go away. If you take it for a month, there is a better chance. But like even people who spot it right away, 36% of them go on to become very ill. And like no research has been done. So beyond those two weeks, any kind of treatment that you do, any medication you take, you have to like go seek out a specialist. First, you have to like figure out a diagnosis. So some people go years. So I think when I saw you, I was like, I'm sick. And what's crazy is... For me, it started with headaches, but when I did Bridgetown, mm-hmm. I was so, I didn't know what was wrong with me, and I woke up temporarily paralyzed in my hotel. What? The, this is, wow. <laughs> and I had to, like, shake my legs to, like, wake them up. It took me, like, 10 minutes to get feeling back in my legs, and I was like, I'm dying. Whoa. Nobody, I don't, I don't even know. I had seen like 22 doctors by that point. God. So, yeah, and I was misdiagnosed. Is all out of pocket then? Also, insurance isn't Yeah, oh, the past Jesus. like year and a half. And meanwhile, the whole time you're also writing on Nikki Glaser's yes. show. Like you're writing. <laughs> yeah. God Like damn. showing up to the office every day to write comedy bits. Right. I know. I continued working through it. It started when I was working at The Soup. And I would go into work and be like, why am I like shaking right now? Or I've, I I start having like numbness and all this. Yeah, stuff. What are for listeners who don't know? Like, what are the usual symptoms that people get? That- well, everyone has. When you get Lyme disease, you don't just get Lyme. Like the tick bites you, and it's Lyme is kind of an umbrella term for like a like four pronged infection. Uh-huh. So when it bites you, you can get different strains. You either get 
just lime or you it's like a twist cone it's like a fun like combo <laughs> meal <laughs> you get to choose your sides okay. uh no i got protein. Uh, yes so some people get a strain or get lyme disease that comes with an infection called babesia that makes them really tired uh-huh. um i don't have that one i have one called bartonella which affects like the nervous system jesus yeah and so and it's it's that it's, was it's a kind of tick that always care it sometimes carries it or if you get bit by that kind of tick you will get it you know what i mean is it like a thing that's certain of the ticks have also right. have been infected and that's why or well here's the whole thing is that lime wasn't always didn't always exist mm-hmm. and there is a belief that um there was a laboratory in plum island near connecticut mm-hmm. um near lime connecticut that oh. was a, a la, an animal laboratory. No way. Yes. And that they were testing tick-borne diseases. It was like they were definitely, the doctor's name was someone Traub. He was uh, a scientist from Berlin who they brought in to do all this testing on ticks. And they think that some of the ticks, the deers crossed the river and brought, um, all these people started to get sick in Lyme, Connecticut. Like full families started having no like way. hysteria and paralysis and numbness, and they whole families were getting sick. And they and we created it. Yes, they no. believe that it was like a type of warfare that was created by by a human Holy scientist. Shit. Yes, to do testing on uh, insects. So, having gone through this experience, would you recommend Lyme disease to others? Oh yeah. And I can tell you where to get it. I can. I go to this great woman named Donna. She'll inject it right into your veins. No, I mean it's it's crazy. So are you clear of it now? Really, like, do you feel like how's your health now? I'm a lot better, but I had kind of something crazy happen in April related to it that we can or cannot go into here. I mean, it's like it's kind of like when this happens, it, your whole life is kind of like hijacked in uh-huh. a way because. It's so consuming, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Damn. So, yeah. yeah. So, that did, in a lot of ways, I think, open me up to science. Because I didn't have that much of an understanding of how my body worked. or Because it, it, like, ruined, like, my endocrine system and all these different parts of my systems yeah. in my body that I didn't have a knowledge of. You know, I wasn't like, oh, yeah, my lymphatic system and this is how my liver pushes this out and this is what will stimulate this organ and all of that. It just brought new uh, knowledge to me that way. And what's the best case scenario? Like, like yeah, how how are you right now and what's what what does the future hold? This, I mean, basically you, coming back here every week to vent. Yeah. Does it? But is it something that recurs? Once I, I know almost nothing about Lyme disease. Like, is it okay. something that once you have it, it's sort of always there to an extent, or does it now? Will you? Would you be able to say, like, in two years' time, that whole part of my life is done with now, and I'm possibly, okay. possibly, I'm getting better. Um, it's really weird because things that you would never think would work before something like this happens suddenly you're like oh maybe i will go to that like healer who heals through sound frequencies (laughs) yeah like i've done so many like strange alternative treatments and stuff at this point that i feel like yeah there's a good possibility that what i'm feeling is just the after effect of it and that i may not have it anymore okay um 
But some people believe you always have it. Yeah, yeah. But I still have like some symptoms. But none mm-hmm. of the paralysis anymore. Uh, it seems like a no. Big one but I get... have uh, numbness. Oh, that's no good. No, it's not good. Yeah, the Wikipedia so. page talked about like facial paralysis being pretty common too. Yes. That's something that happens in the beginning. A lot of people, that's like the telltale thing is that they get like Bell's palsy. Like they'll just look in the mirror and be like, mm-hmm. my face is like, but mine uh, did, mine never dropped, but I had like numbness like spread across my face. Uh, but that's actually kind of handy as an actor sometimes because it just means oh, yeah. you just get real stillness. She's really, really <laughs> composed, like really just centered. You can also just get Botox, right? <laughs> That's called right? Botox. Yes. Botox. Oh, yeah. Just and now, I, now they're saying I have to get Botox. <laughs> Sorry, doctor. They're like, you have to get facials every week. Like, I'm, like Botox have- is okay, but I would really recommend Lyme. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. We're okay joking so, about a really horrendous part of your life, right? No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's what. however you want <laughs> I mean, I don't really I like, apologize. I mean, it is a part of my life that's introduced me to a different aspect of science. Yeah. We definitely don't have to stay on it. I, I know. I no, don't no, no like but I'm really glad you brought it, it up because I, really? I, I know. Yeah, I know. I know very there are other. About it. How common? How common is it now? Like, do you, well, they. 300,000 cases in the U.S., it says. Right. That's, that like number is a gross uh, underestimation. 300,000 a year in the U.S. Because so that's many people, people go. That's one, in, that's one in a thousand Americans. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So many people go undiagnosed that it's uh-huh. actually <clears throat> way more than that. And the CDC actually revised their number. They had it at 30,000, and then they just switched it to 30,000. To 300,000. To 300,000, yeah, sorry. That's a... I want to read more about that origin story. But, uh, that's some, super, that's some like, evil Marvel Isn't that crazy? Shit. Plum yeah. Island? Yeah, look it up. Plum, it also just sounds like a location from a comic book. You it know? Like, it totally it, does. It doesn't sound real. I know it's crazy, right? I was like, "What was that night?" I, I feel like just as the tick up. hijacked my body, my lime hijacked your podcast. No, 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 no. We it's can very, go back no, can, to the stories. Yeah. No, this. I mean, this is still it's, this it's is still every, science. If we have, I know. Again, we might have listeners who. I know we have listeners who are right. epidemiologists and virologists, and I don't. In fact, it's really? not even a virus. It's, it's a bacterial. It's a bacterial infection. infection. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Uh, if you know more about, if you have any inputs on this, please email us in probably science at gmail.com. Um, hey, uh, but you, back to electric fans. So guys, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Um, I, I say this every year and people assume I'm joking, but it is heartfelt and it, it is golden because we've been doing this show for a while. And I'm, I'm very proud of it, but yet again, uh, the Nobel prizes have come out and we've been overlooked. It's at this point, I can't believe it's starting it. to get, it's I, mean, I don't want to say yes. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, it is feeling uh, personal. I think it should be about the work. It should. It should be about the work. Yeah, it's all. It's so political. The mm-hmm. Nobels. It is. We've been putting out. We've been putting out a quality science Almost podcast. Almost five for, years of this podcast. Yeah, two hundred twenty-two episodes, and still nary a nomination. I mean, there's so many categories that we could be eligible for, and yeah. nothing. Peace? Who's, Haven't who got are, peace? Who are you showcasing for? Who are the specific mm. people? Oh, well, there's a, it's it's kind of like Montreal. There's a whole bunch of like <laughs> callbacks, and they make you. It's yeah. So we, the King of Sweden, laughed. We saw him laughing. Yeah. Oh yeah, the and he doesn't laugh. He's he sees so many Nobel nominees. He never laughs. But like, who's nominated? Who was nominated? So I don't know if you see. Well, the one we were we we really were expecting 
was uh, for physics, it was a bit of a surprise that LIGO, uh, a project that involves some past guests on the show, um, which is wasn't... the device that detected the gravitational waves. Oh, which is a huge story. Huge and in fact, because it was over the Christmas break, we missed out the fact that there was a second detection as well, which we should mention. Can you oh, explain yeah. that right. to me? So, uh, this will be like second and third hand description from what we vaguely remember from Jamie and Larry's and Jana's amazing description. But, um, so Einstein's theory of general relativity predicted the existence of gravitational waves. So when huge events happen, su- such as, um, two black holes colliding, uh, there is enough... Or even just orbiting around each other. Or orbiting around, yeah. There is enough of a ripple in space-time that it would be, that it would theoretically be detectable on Earth. So that would mean as it goes through you, it's actually stretching you out and yeah. and compressing you. So like you're you, changing size you imagine, as these gravity waves go through you. So if you imagine um, like a sound wave, like a noise. Right. So if, if you if you clap your hands together, uh, there's like a shock effect of the air around you compresses and then expands in a little pulse, and it travels through the air like that in compression and expansion until it, like a slinky spring. Like if you shove a slinky spring towards it, there's like this pulse that goes a long length. Oh. And that travels towards you and it hits your ears and makes your ears vibrate. And that's a compression and expansion of air. But the gravitational wave is like the fabric of space-time itself is compressing and expanding because of these hugely massive objects moving around each other and interacting with each other. Wow, it's like feng shui in space. That's exactly how they <laughs> explained it. Yeah. <laughs> and And... Even though this thing is, it's so subtle, it's such a subtle effect because gravity is such a weak force. Like that, okay, easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, uh, oh yeah, I'll say it, I'll say it. <laughs> Gravity's. Is that my gravity out there? Yeah. I'll challenge you. <laughs> I'll challenge gravity any day. Um, but. Uh, you want to the- throw down? Always down. <laughs> it always throws down. Yeah. <laughs> um, the two massive black holes orbiting each other uh, at the distance we're measuring as well cause just like a fraction of 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 an atom's widths ripple in space-time that we can detect. Really? And this, this so these machines are extraordinarily sensitive. They took decades to build and refine and they turn them on. You're like they're just theremins, yeah. but they, they kind of are they... theremin-like. They're so are they? Theremin. Well, they're I mean, like... they, they're perpendicular the way a theremin is. Like, isn't there an arm going up and an arm to the side? Yeah. What, what there is is along the ground. There's like um, this huge tube uh, in one direction and another one in the other direction. It's like an L shape. And the idea... like two miles long each. Or yeah. Something like that? And the idea is, as this gravity wave passes through the Earth. Um, It'll squash in. It'll squash space time in one direction and expand it in the other. Like if you sort of press on a balloon, so like it sort of gets wider, it gets fatter in one dimension and thinner in the other, and then it'll come back again. And they're sending these pulses of light simultaneously through both arms. And if it's squashed at that point because a gravity wave is coming through it, the pulse of light will take less time to go down one of the arm than it will in the other. It'll take a different amount of time. Really? Yeah. By by, the, by again a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a millisecond like it like the the difference in time is so tiny but you can measure the interference between those two pulses as they come back to each other and they detected a gravity wave and this is like one of the biggest things in science in a while so we're like well and that's anytime they detect it they go <gasps> that's exactly <laughs> so they don't forget it right 
and they're like, we're like, well, this is this is a lock for the Nobel Prize. It turns out that it was too late in the year, so it missed the cutoff point. So I'm I'm guessing it'll be next year's Nobel Prize for physics. It's it has be. to be. But yeah, wow. I was talking to someone else who was saying like it might not be. They'll definitely get it at some point. Sometimes there's just like a backlog of people who need to be given a Nobel Prize, sort of. Was really? Else's well, theory? also, it's oh, never... Oh, that's interesting. That's... Like, some people are like, seriously? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, when yeah, the yeah. list... Like, I've been doing the podcast right. for like seven years. <laughs> right. And... Right. <laughs> yeah, I think by 2020, we should be... We should be in the running for something. Maybe peace. I feel like it's going to happen. Yeah. So we should go through the... Um, there's still a couple that haven't been awarded, but they've awarded yeah. medicine, chemistry, and physics already. Do you want to start with... How about chemistry? Um, yeah, let's do it. No? Let's do chemistry. This year, we should do some kind of drum roll. If we had Jesse, he maybe could make some kind of a you know, musical segment intro. Okay, yeah, Nobel Watch 2016. Nobel Prize in chemistry goes to Jean-Pierre <laughs> Sauvage of University of Strasbourg, France, and Sir J. Fraser Stoddart. Uh, why am I trying to do an accent? He's from Northwestern here in the U.S. Say it again. Sir J. Fraser Stoddart. I was trying to like, Stoddart or something. Oh, Northwestern University. Well, if it's Sir, I presume he's, there's some sort of British thing in there. But it wouldn't be like Stoddart or something. Yeah, right. Fraser. Yeah. Uh, and Bernard L. Feringa, University of Groningen, Groningen in the Netherlands, for the design and synthesis of molecular machines. Oh. Yeah. Um, Here's the weird thing. On the actual Nobel Prize website... Um, some of the people have actual photo headshots, and then everyone else has this weird. It's not quite like that. Black, uh, blue, and yellow f- line drawings. Yeah, it's it's not like that. Was it the Wall Street Journal that has those? Uh, if they didn't have stippling? time to get headshots, that's what they get. Someone just draws them. <laughs> but the drawing is clearly a drawing of a headshot. So I don't know why that yeah. artist just only did two out of the three. And the same goes for uh, hang on, for the physics person as well. I find that. But the style of the other one is different. The style of the physics one is. Um bring it up here we oh, go no, okay. the physics one has yeah, yeah one of the three people has a line drawing anyway okay so these three guys uh, designed and produced molecular machines which they've been uh, developing with um, they have controllable movements and they can perform a task when energy is added really yeah, this is this is quite impressive I was reading up about the, they basically it, it this is real this is actually really sci-fi sounding because it literally is engineering molecules to make little machines like one of the things i think we covered like in the show they actually made like a little car out of but on the manic, on the molecular level where the wheels are like benzene ring where yeah. the wheels are like benzene rings or something yeah and, yeah yeah wait the wheel does what like they actually made they worked out a way to make machines but on an atomic level so literally like they and they worked out a way to make an axle and a wheel but the wheel is just like a small circle of carbon molecules Oh my god! And then they're like, "Well, if we can do this and work out ways to stimulate it, then actually we can. We've got to the point where we can maybe start repairing, like doing things on a like like doing mechanics on a molecular level, on an atomic level. They can actually be physically manipulating things one atom at a time. Wow! And this is all good unless we reach the doomsday scenario of uh, gray goo. Have you heard of that? No. It's a hypothetical end-of-the-world scenario involving molecular nanotechnology. So these tiny machines in which out-of-control, self-replicating robots consume all the matter on Earth while building more of themselves. A scenario that's been called echophagy, eating the environment, more literally eating the habitation. That's like a thing that sci-fi authors theorize. If we make 
if you make like molecular self-replicating robots and they just decide to make more of themselves and they use everything on the planet and everything gets destroyed. How is Grey Goose? Is that spelled like Grey, like the, the vodka? The color Grey. Without... Oh. Yeah, like Grey Goose. Yeah, like, actually, I don't completed Grey Goose when I tried to Google it. And I was like, no, Grey Goo. It was I wonder first... how many people like try and order one drunkenly online and end up with the other. <laughs> Wait, which one do they want? Ah. <laughs> oh, they want, yeah. Let's get loaded. Let's get this party going. <laughs> Some Greg. Oh, uh, we've accidentally ordered the nanotechnology end of the universe. <laughs> so, yeah, it was first uh, suggested by molecular nanotechnology pioneer Eric Drexler in his book, Engines of Creations. This was 30 years ago. Engines of Creation. And um, he said, imagine such a replicator floating in a bottle of chemicals, making copies of itself. The first replicator assembles a copy in 1,000 seconds. The two replicators then build two more in the next 1,000 seconds. The four build another four. Wait, you're saying replicators are building replicators? Well, that's what he's saying. If we get to the point we have these nanomachines that can replicate themselves, uh, at the end of 10 hours, there are now 36 new replicators, but over over 68 billion. (laughs) In less than a day, they weigh a ton. It's the point of this invention just so people can drive themselves insane. In less than two days, they would outweigh the Earth. In another four hours, they would exceed the mass of the sun and all the planets combined if the bottle of chemicals hadn't run dry long before. So, uh, the world probably won't end that way, but it could end that way. Thanks to these Nobel laureates. But yeah, uh, they made micro-machines and um, (laughs) not not with the intent of ending the world. Uh, Let's see. The first steps towards a molecular machine was taken by Jean-Pierre Sauvage in 1983 when he succeeded in linking two. Do we hold for car alarm? This didn't happen in the valley. This is oh, oh, the right. West Hollywood thing. How do you feel about the car alarm? Are you going to let it move through you or are you going to have it impact? I think we can just... I think How much is it being picked up in the yeah. headphones? I mean, it's clearly hearable. If it, if it stops in the it's next 10 seconds, I'm not going to cut this out. All right, we're going to keep going. All right. Oh, all right. <laughs> so in 1983, um, Jean-Pierre succeeded in linking two ring-shaped molecules together to form a chain called a catenane. Normally, molecules are joined by strong covalent bonds in which the atoms share electrons, but in the chain, they were instead linked by a freer mechanical bond. For a machine to be able to perform a task, it must consist of parts that can move relative to each other. The two interlocked rings fulfilled exactly this requirement. The second step was taken by Fraser Stoddart in 1991 when he developed Rotaxane? Rotaxane. Rotaxane. Emily Rodachowski's. Emily Rodachowski. Yeah. Uh, He threaded a molecular ring onto a thin molecular axle and demonstrated that the ring was able to move along the axle. Among his developments based on Roto... Oh, I guess it's Rota... Rotaxane? Rota. Rotaxane. Are a molecular lift, a molecular muscle, and a molecular a molecule-based computer chip. And Bernard Faringa, the third laureate, was the first person to develop a molecular motor. In 1999, he got a molecular rotor blade to spin continually in the same direction. Using molecular motors, he's rotated a glass cylinder that is 10,000 times bigger than the motor, and also designed a nano car, which might have been what we were talking about. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, by the way, also this this idea was first mooted by uh, Richard Feynman. In a lecture in the fifties, micro machines or oh sorry, in, uh, in a oh sorry in the in nineteen eighty four, um, I thought you said micro machines. That's what micro machines. Yeah, is that what idea. they're saying? This not idea of micro machines, like, like the toy, but not like the toy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it and it also says in the press release from the Nobel website, it says uh, uh, 
2016's Nobel laureates in chemistry have taken molecular systems out of equilibrium stalemate and into energy-filled states in which their movements can be controlled. In terms of development, the molecular motor is at the same stage as the electric motor was in the 1830s, when scientists displayed various spinning cranks and wheels, unaware that they would lead to washing machines, fans, and food processors. Molecular machines will most likely be used in the development of things such as new materials, sensors, and energy storage systems. And then Grey Goo, and then the end of the world. And then Grey Goo, and then the end of the world. Awesome. Congratulations, chemists. Are you happy about this advancement? I I mean, medically, things, it's going to be... Yeah, yeah, because it's going to be... Before it ends the world, it's going to be the solution to so many of mankind's problems, I think. Mm. Might not be in our lifetime, but don't you think, Matt? Yeah, I don't don't know when... I think what that press release was sort of suggesting was like, yeah, this is still at the stage where, all right, we've worked out how to do a thing. We've got no idea what it might be useful for, but now we're putting this out into the world. The same way, like, hey, here's an electric motor. We found a way to put electricity through this thing and it spins. So it's the idea of, like, harnessing. Yeah. Yeah. Taking, like, something, like, such an abstract idea and then figuring out. Right, but eventually, if it's the kind of thing where you can make these little machines that will go through your bloodstream and pick out cancer right. cells individually yeah. and like, that's not yeah. impossible to imagine right so good work no, absolutely. guys good well work that's done and incredible. yeah that's a, that's a good example of, of how how long it can take because yeah these those three things that they cited took place in 83 91 and 99 and they're getting their nobel prize in 2016 that's wow yeah. although to be fair the ligo the ligo people they their did, project yeah, did start in the 90s that? l-i-g-o it's um Laser it's an acronym. It's interferometer gravitational observer, Gravi- okay. gravity observer. Huh? Is it laser? Is the first word laser? Yeah, it's sending a laser. It, um, have we talked about that before? So it's like a nested acronym. Light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. That's true. Wow. Yeah. And they're both light. Wait, because now people are getting the same way people get mad about uh, people using literally, metaphorically, which mm. I don't get. Like that's just an extra layer of. Uh, exaggeration for comedic effect but everyone gets so mad like don't say literally if you don't mean literally it's like why can't you say literally if you don't mean right. fuck you I could say whatever i want you're just trying to put emphasis on yeah right. yeah and I, uh, the same way people mm. are now mad i feel like it's really trendy now among pedantic assholes to be like uh it's not an acronym that's a, an initialization like that's a thing people just discovered the difference between and they want to brag about like an acronym has to be pronounceable as a word i guess right yeah versus like irs that's not an acronym because you don't say errs that was a question oh really yeah that's yeah. that is that was actually a question at trivia the other week oh really what's the difference between an acronym and an initialism oh it's right i was there for, and yeah, it was yeah. a an acronym an acronym is pronounced as a word oh. so laser is an is an acronym but ibm is an initialism. so nasa acronym yes yeah nasa scuba, scuba laser ceo isn't ceo Cheo. isn't because you pronounce the words let's make it one yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm the chair of this company. <laughs> like someone who's just trying to trying to blag it and hasn't worked out. Like he's, he's only seen it written down. Yeah, I'm the chair. <laughs> I am Mr. I'm this company's chair and I should be here. And uh, you have no right to remove me from this building, sir. <laughs> I shall have you fired. As chair, I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> do you want to do the physics? And I am the, also the BOSS of this place. Like he's <laughs> yeah. got both of them wrong. Physics. Physics. Let's do it. All right. All right, so the physics uh, Nobel Prize in chemistry uh, divided. I didn't know they do this. It's given to three people, but they're shared like David J. Thulles gets a half, and F. Duncan M. Haldane and J. Michael Kostelitz each share a quarter. Is there like an award show for the Nobel? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's money. Where? It's in Stockholm, right? 
There's a lot of really? money. There's eight eight million. Uh, Maybe I should try to go to that. That would be the least. Fun I feel award. like you should start <laughs> putting the energy out right now. Um, I tell you what, though, last year, um, Amy Poehler and Tina, Tina Fey did a great job hosting it. <laughs> they really. <laughs> it see. was good. I feel like yeah. It's it's happening right now because they still they've only but they space it out they yeah, sort of do each one what, yeah but all the ones that that our show would particularly care about have already come last out last week yeah. oh, okay. I mean economics sometimes veers more sciencey so maybe we'll cover that next week mm. it's at Stockholm Concert Hall with the banquet following immediately at Stockholm City Hall that's where things get a little right yeah <laughs> but and Nobel then if Prize you get invited to the after part what's like the best after right. party <laughs> I mean, there have to be some people there who really do get lit. Like, there has to be, right? right? Oh, yeah. So there's, there's got to be drink. a party that is the best party. Right. I want to see how good the best party is. So anybody who's listening who's ever been to any Nobel-adjacent parties, please email us, probablyscience at gmail.com, or tweet at probablyscience, and tell us uh, what it's like to get drunk with laureates. Uh, so this year's uh, physics laureates, were they were awarded for... Um, Theoretical discoveries of topological phase transitions and topological phases of matter. Uh, and the press release says they reveal the secrets of exotic matter. This year's laureates open the door on an unknown world where matter can assume strange states. They've used advanced mathematical methods to study unusual phases or states of matter, such as superconductors, superfluids, or thin magnetic films. Thanks to their pioneering work, the hunt is now on for new and exotic phases of matter. Uh, many people are hopeful of future applications of both material science and electronics. I don't know if I buy that. A new exotic phase of matter? Well, we'll see. Um, we found all the most exotic phases. <laughs> so the three laureates' use of topological concepts in right. physics was decisive for their discoveries. Topology is a branch of mathematics that describes properties that only change stepwise. That, that's a weird way of describing it. Topology Okay, to- I'd like to apologize to the scientists for saying I don't buy exotic phases you of You don't think matter. that they exist? <laughs> no, they do. I've... <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I like how, how it sounds. Why can't we focus on, like, just good old meat and potatoes, traditional... <laughs> I just like my matter, of, the old-fashioned... Like, I like solids, liquids, and gases, and I'm a simple man. Um, it's a topo- well, topology in mathematics is... Uh, I'm trying to find the, the, the a good way of describing it, but it's the study of uh, the nature of shapes... So things are, two things are topologically equivalent if they can be stretched or bend or bent or compressed into each other. So without cutting or um, without yeah without cutting without or joining. So for example, um, uh, a donut and a like coffee cup are the same room. thing. Like a yeah. what? A donut is isomorph. No, iso isomorphic. Yeah. Um, oh. Or is uh, it iso? So it's um something else. Uh, so you can't tear or stretch. So for example, a ring. Uh, like a, a a wedding band, whatever, is topologically equivalent to a donut, even though a donut is rounder and fatter because you can squish one into the shape of another. You can stretch or squish, but it has the same number of holes. It's just one well, hole in the middle. It's just a round circle. It's a torus. For that matter, so is a coffee cup because all it is is the handle is the hole and everything else is sort of just stretched versions of a donut or a wedding ring. Or Theoretically, a human is also that. A human is a donut, right? No, we've got more holes than that. Not that go all the way through us. You got like the nostril, the nostril holes. There's an extra loop. Wait. Okay, fine. God damn it. And then what's th- then? What are we? 
I was gonna. I thought we were the same as a donut because we just have the well, one. I'm here one. seeing here a claim well, that you are. The... A, this person saying topology and why you're a donut, but yes. I disagree. Okay. No, because like your your nostril, nostril kind of connects through, to like your that. mouth. Yeah. But then it connects and to your, your ears. Mouth, there's an opening. Uh, not unblocked though. Well. Anyway, uh, but it doesn't matter. So they're applying this school of mathematics that is uh, concerned with properties of space that are preserved under continuous deformations, as the Wikipedia uh, definition says, such as stretching and bending, but not tearing or gluing. So they're using topology to study these exotic phases of matter. Um, Let me see where... I just lost it. I just lost it. Uh, Okay, using topology as a tool... These uh, these three were able to astound the experts. In the early 70s, Michael Kosterlitz and David Tholis overturned the then-current theory that superconductivity or suprafluidity could not occur in thin layers. They demonstrated that superconductivity could occur at low temperatures and also explained the mechanism phase transition that makes superconductivity disappear at higher temperatures. Then in the 80s, Thules was able to explain a previous experiment with very thin electrically conducting layers in which conductance was precisely measured as integer steps. He showed that these integers were topological in their nature. I'm not sure what that would mean. Uh, at around the same time, Duncan Haldane discovered how topological concepts can be used to understand the properties of chains of small magnets found in some materials. Hmm. And we now know that many topological phases, not only in thin layers and threads, but also in ordinary three-dimensional materials. Wait. We now know of many topological phases that are also in ordinary three-dimensional materials. Over the last decade, this area has boosted frontline research in condensed matter physics, not least because of the hope that topological materials could be used in new generations of electronics and superconductors or in future quantum computers. Current research is revealing the secrets of matter in the exotic worlds discovered by this year's Nobel laureates. Good work, guys, even those of you who only got a quarter of a prize. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, here's a sort of on Cosmos magazine, which is actually where I, the thing that said you are a donut. I still disagree. It's like been looking at this whole time. Yeah, I totally. I, but, yeah, because you've got. No, I'm, I'm would, sure your nostrils count as a separate other, loop. What would you be if not a donut? Like, what is the other option? Uh, like a sponge. You, uh, you could be a pretzel. What, what would the what, what, what mean, would a deformation is, of the of, if you're considering just your two nostrils and your mouth and butthole. What, how do you I deform be, that into I think into you'd be a donut a, with an extra little loop cut through it, like another hole. Uh, just a... I think you'd be a figure th- of eight. Uh, mm. I think you'd be a figure of eight donuts. Wait. No, because those aren't... Um, oh, but then that's connected. Like a donut they connect knack, to each, that they is all, born all, as a... All of those holes connect to one another. All, all four of these holes... Because you stretch your nose and your mouth hole so that they join. I'm going to have to think about this for a while. Um. Uh. So. So yeah, this quantum hall effect. Um. Yes, superfluid. We talked about superfluids before. That. Um. It says water gushes freely. But honey slowly drips from a spoon. Uh. What defines how easily a liquid can flow is called viscosity, and it comes from how the liquid molecules bump into each other and tangle with each other. But a superfluid is a liquid that has zero viscosity. It can flow with no resistance. A liquid helium behaves this way when it's cooled to almost absolute zero, when it's like um, a couple of degrees above. It, it's more atoms absorbed to kind of group think that, like they're a single object. So you see, you'll sometimes see there's footage here of... Um, would that also mean it has no friction as a substance that a, a different solid would pass through? Like it has no... Yeah, it behaves very weirdly. It can drip through solid objects. It can flow up the side of containers. 
Uh, you can stir a pot of liquid helium and it'll spin forever without slowing. Um, oh, it's liquid in this phase. In yeah. Liquid with zero viscosity. I thought it was gaseous. And uh, no, it's a liquid. And in the 70s, two of this year's uh, winners, Nobel Prize winners, realized that in thin puddles of superfluid, fl- um, tiny whirlpools can pair up if they spin in opposite directions like two meshing gears. But above a critical temperature, the two vortices break free from one another and sail away. At this temperature, the liquid helium suddenly changes its behavior. Sorry, it, can you go back to that for a second? <laughs> so you're saying if they both are going in opposite ways, then they pair up. But if they're going in the same direction... Um, if they're going in the same direction, they probably cancel each other out. So like they it, just become one. Yeah. No, they, they sort of what? cancel each other out and stop. But if if you think about two gears that have meshed with each other, right. they're actually going in opposite directions because one's right. going that way and the other one, the teeth the are connected. So then it. they can continue to yeah. go. But if they're in the same direction, then... It doesn't talk about what happens when it's okay. super fluid here. I'm not sure what happened. Um, but a phase transition happens when something changes its property, such as a uh, water freezing to ice. So physics have used these ideas in a lot of other physics research. There's even a quantum theory of gravity that treats the fundamental vacuum as a kind of superfluid. Uh, so this is the qu- then it talks about the quantum Hall effect. So usually the relationship between a current and a voltage is a property of material called resistance, that which is like the friction stopping electrons flowing through the wire okay. or through the material. And in the 80s, physicists found this baffling effect in flat materials. Through spin art. Right? <laughs> called the quantum Hall effect, where this simple relationship was totally broken. As the resistance, instead, the resistance jumped in steps. And no matter what material was used, the steps were identical. Mm. A topology explained the jumps as coming from the electrons in the material ganging together to form a quantum fluid. Like the superfluid, the behavior of these electrons are defined only by shape, not by the materials they are flowing through. Mm. Oh, wait, say that last part again. Sorry. <laughs> like the superfluid, the behavior of these electrons are defined only by shape, not the materials they are flowing through. Okay. Um, weirder still, as superconductors, um, which can carry current without any resistance at all, just as superfluids can have ever-spinning whirlpools, the superconductors can have any ever-spinning currents. These loops can be fashioned into quantum bits or qubits, the building blocks of quantum computers. And just like the twin whirlpools, whirlpools linking in a superfluid, electrons can pair up in a superconductor, and this helps them glide through on a free ride. So again, topology is crucial. Um, and then there are topological insulators, and then it gets a string three, which is... Uh, who knows? <clears throat> but yeah. I feel like that part... You're like... Who I'm going to skip over that. Else but this <laughs> part, yeah. That's... Um, that's what you need to do to come up with a Nobel Prize. Yeah, that's all. That's all you got to do. <laughs> and then uh, we should finally talk about the the one of the bunch that that went to a single person. So he gets all 800,000? Oh, wow. Is that... What's the prize? No, uh, uh, times that by 10. Eight million? Yeah. Really? Swedish uh, kroner. kroner, yeah. Which is currently... Oh, yeah, you're right. As of 2012, each prize is worth eight million kroner, or about 1.2 million US. Oh, okay. Um, That's not so much then. Fuck that. Uh, Doesn't even bother. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the prize for physiology or medicine went to Yoshinori Osumi for his discoveries of mechanisms for autophagy. Um... Yes, he he elucidated and discovered mechanisms underlying autophagy, a fundamental process for the degrading and recycling. Sorry, he hallucinated? Elucidated. Oh, and then like, elucidated. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, the word autophagy comes from the Greek words auto meaning self and phagin meaning to eat. Thus, autophagy denotes self-eating. 
This concept emerged during the wow. 1960s when researchers first observed that the cell could destroy its own contents by enclosing it in membranes, forming sac-like vesicles that were transported to a recycling compartment called the lysosome for degradation. Difficulties in studying the phenomenon meant that little was known about it until in a series of brilliant experiments in the early 1990s, Yoshinori Osumi used baker's yeast to identify genes essential for autophagy. He then went on to elucidate the underlying mechanisms for autophagy in yeast and then hallucinate and showed that similar sophisticated machinery is used in our cells. His discoveries led to a new paradigm and understanding of how the cell recycles its content. His discoveries opened the path to understanding the fundamental importance of autophagy in many physiological processes, such as the adaptation to starvation or response to infection. Mutations in autophagy genes can cause disease, and the autophagic process is involved in several conditions, including cancer and neurological disease. And is actually, autophage spelled like the yogurt, F-A-G-E? Uh, P-H-A-G-E. Oh, oh, oh. Wait, what is, is there a brand of yogurt that's F-A-G-E? Uh-huh. <laughs> that doesn't seem like Greek a very appetizing yogurt? brand. Oh, is that a Greek word? Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it otherwise I would. Oh, maybe it's just oh, a yeah. play on, because phage is actually a Greek, maybe it's just a really? play on, it just means eat. Mm. Yeah, so. Yeah, maybe there's a correlation a there. But that actually transitions pretty well into one of this week's stories. Oh, yeah. Good call, Andy. If only I had it at the ready. I know the one I you're about jump. to do, so do I you can jump do it? in. Go for it. Uh, it's a weird wording from New Scientist. Yeah. They've gone, <laughs> new Scientist here has gone a little bit more colloquial than I think they normally would. Uh, your boobs, I wouldn't have used the word boobs there, New Scientist, start to eat themselves after breastfeeding is over. Oh, wait, it was the byline is Donald Trump. So, oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah, is a yeah. guest, guest editor this week. Weird choice, new scientist. I don't know why. That was a misstep. That uh, is... Wow. This article is written by Linda Geddes. Uh, Fine. But I'm guessing Linda did not write under- the headline. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, when a woman stops breastfeeding, her breasts go from being full-time milk-producing factories to regular appendages in a matter of days. Linda, that is, again, a weird choice mm, of word. Is- now a molecular switch has been identified that controls their transformation from milk secretors to cellular eaters that gobble up their dying neighbors. The discovery could provide new insights into what goes wrong in breast cancer. Women's breasts comprise of a network of ducts con- covered by a layer of fatty t- tissue. During pregnancy, hormonal signals cause epithelial cells lining the ducts to proliferate and form ball-like structures called alveoli, which is where milk is made where, and where, when the baby is born. Uh, however, once women stop breastfeeding, these structures self-destruct, a process that involves massive cellular suicide and the removal of the debris. Here is the mystery. The body's immune cells usually remove dead and dying cells through a process called phagocytosis. Yet the amount of material that is consumed is so great that you'd expect significant inflammation, pain, and tissue damage something that doesn't typically happen when breastfeeding seizes. Uh, one of the least understood aspects of this process is how the excess, the excess milk and large numbers of dead cells are removed from the mammary gland without substantial activation of the immune system, says Matthew Naylor, a cancer biologist at the University of Sydney. After lactation, it seems that the epithelial cells eat their dead neighbors. Since a protein called RAC1 is essential for normal milk production as well as phagocytosis in immune cells, uh, Nazreen Akhtar at the University of Sheffield and her colleagues wondered whether it might also be involved in this breast remodeling. So to investigate, they deleted the gene for RAC1 in female mice. Their first litter of pups survived, but they were smaller than normal, probably because the milk they received contains less fat and protein than normal. Is that the gene that can be mutated, the BRAC gene? 
Uh, might be. It might be I'm related. Sure it's because that's BRAC1 that and BRAC2. The they test for that people like when they get preemptive mastectomies yeah. because they have that. Yes. That might well be. Do you want to I'm check sure that out? I'm sure it's related. BRAC1 uh, and this is just BR- BRAC without a B. This is RAC1. This is BRCA, and that's oh, RAC. I mean, I wouldn't Because sometimes people call related, that the BRAC. The BRAC. The, the BRAC. Well, they call it BRAC. The BRCA gene. Sometimes I've heard it said that way as well. Um. It's what does it actually stand for? Oh, uh, it stands for. Well, it doesn't say on the Wikipedia article. For so it. once oh. they, so once they deleted this gene, okay, maybe s- it might be different. Yeah, well, we'll yeah see. that's BRCA one, and this we're talking about is RAC one. Oh, okay. S- but subsequent litters of pups died in this test. Further experiments. I like reveal- how you looked me right in the eyes, though I didn't. <laughs> Why would you do this? <laughs> I'm <innocent. laughs> Why would you kill all those mice? Subsequent litters of pups died. Further experiments revealed that in the absence of RAC1, or RAC1, I don't know if you meant to pronounce this, is an acronym, is an initialism. It's all come full circle. <laughs> right? Um, right. Dead cells and milk flooded the be- breasts, triggering swelling and a state of chronic inflammation, which impaired the mice's ability to regenerate the tissues and produce milk in later pregnancies. The mammary gland has a huge amount of stuff that it has to get rid of quickly after lactation, but if you have just immune cells taking the dead cells out... You still get chronic inflammation and tissue damage, says Charles Strudy, who supervised the study. Actar's work shows for the first time that RAC1 is crucial for uh, phagocytic activity, and the clearance of cell corpses and milk after lactation seizures is essential for long-term tissue function. But beside triggering the phagocytosis, RAC1 also seems to keep dying cells tethered to the alveoli for longer, possibly encouraging their neighbors to engulf them rather than leaving it to immune cells in the breast duct. It keeps the inflammatory phagocytes at bay by getting the epithelial cells to do the job of clearing themselves up, Strudy adds. That's not to say immune cells play no role, says Christine Watson, who also studies breast cell biology at the University of Cambridge. In the initial phase, epithelial cells act as non-professional phagocytes to clear up milk and protein and milk fat globules. However... After about three days in the mouse, macrophages and other professional phagocytes enter the gland and clear away the remaining cells and debris. Uh, she has the more work is needed to prove that inflammation occurs in the absence of this process. Okay. And these findings could have consequence for understanding the development and progression of breast cancer. Although prolonged breastfeeding reduces overall cancer risk, women have an increased risk of developing breast cancer for the first five to ten years following pregnancy. And these cancers tend to be more aggressive. Oh, I thought the op. I had a friend whose wife was pressuring him to have a kid because she thought it reduced. She had a lot of breast cancer in her family, and right. she wanted to have a kid because I thought it was like using them reduces. Or she thought that, or I thought I heard that from her. One th- one theory is that inflammation during this period of remodeling after breastfeeding may fuel cancer growth. Given this new role for RAC1 in the removal of excess or dead cells, thereby suppressing inflammation, the current study also invents a potential or identifies a potential role for RAC1 in breast cancer that is yet to be explored. Oh, this actually That's ties in That's interesting because... Oh. oh, yeah. No, no, go ahead. I was going No, I was ahead. just thinking. I mean, there's so much now with genetic testing and stuff for... Everything? Bre- yeah, for breast cancer to see if you have those gene mutations with the, with the other gene, BRCA1 and 2, yeah. that to think that there would be yet another one... Because they say that a lot of people, 
yes, if you have those mutations, you're more likely to develop breast cancer. But so many people who have breast cancer don't have anything to do with those mutations. So it's like if you do have that mutation, you have a higher chance. But if you don't have if you test negative, you still have like a 12 percent chance of developing yeah, yeah, it's breast like cancer it's in your life. Cancers. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's, from what I understand, breast cancer and prostate cancer are just sort of inevitabilities. If you live too long, like eventually we're, we're going to get prostate cancer and eventually women are going to get breast. You know what I mean? Like because that tissue grows faster. Like we did a story a while back about how your breast tissue ages at a significantly faster rate than the rest of your tissue in your body. Really? Yeah. And it's all related to that. It's yeah. It's sort of, from what I understand, given enough time and inevitability. And that's why sometimes like diagnosing things can do more harm than good. I'm not saying don't get screened, but like, you know, like if I'm sure any guy who's 90 or over who dies has an enlarged prostate, you know what I mean? Like, but if you'd started treating that at that point, you're like, it's sort of inevitable. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm not an expert in this. Why am I talking about? Um, Well, but, but they say that but women who do have these genes have like an 80% chance of developing breast and ovarian cancer. Oh, okay. In well, their lifetime. Ha- so it's it's significantly higher. Yeah. And it's it tends to be a mutation that occurs in in Ashkenazic Jewish women. Oh, are you Which that? is like a certain tribe. Yeah, I know because it it's in my family. Okay. Uh the I have two relatives who have had surgeries for it. Oh. Yeah, but it's kind of yeah, so anytime uh you see someone who looks a little like they've, you know, just eaten a home and tosh. I don't know what I look what like. What is the stereotype of Ashkenazi <laughs> Jewish? Well, they're again? like kind of typically fair Sephardic Jews tend to be darker skinned. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Ashkenazic Jews tend to be fair skinned. So My talking about your, I was trying to think of a your trade blonde, of like your blonde juice. Yeah, I didn't want to say about. anytime you see a pasty Jew like me. <laughs> but that's like it tends to, you know, but it it also it doesn't it's a G it's a mutation that doesn't skip a generation. Yeah. But if you have a parent or a sibling who has it, then you have a fifty percent chance. Oh, of sure. having it. But if you don't, then you won't pass have it. Have you on. gotten tested for it? I have not. Do you want to get tested for it? Yes. I'm going to. But what would you, I mean, if you had it, would you get an instant mastectomy or would you? It's just... a great question. And it's, yeah. it's something I've, I've thought about a lot. Um, because the other option is to just wait and see. What we but talk... I get screened. I get regular. I just had uh, like an ultrasound and stuff, and I was fine. We've okay. talked on the show before about how a lot of those tests and they, the, a lot of those genetic tests are both unnecessary and accurate, and end up giving people information yeah, they shouldn't can... really have because because people are very bad at understanding what the actual percentages mean, and what then do you they mean, end up give having... them inflammation. Give them. Information. Well, information. Oh, not I think said inflammation. No, um, like, really? but you end up like, like you talking about those percentages where you sort of go like, you go, oh, this gene gives you a, how gives you a fifteen percent greater chance of getting this condition, but what people don't realize is, oh, but you only have a point one percent chance of getting this condition in the first place, so now it's increased by point by fifteen percent of point oh one percent. Which is a hu- still a negligible, which chance. is a negligible yeah. extra amount of risk, and but because of that, now you might have some, you might start having treatments or interventions that are actually not good for you. 
Right. So you start doing this stuff that actually you shouldn't be doing this stuff and you shouldn't be having this treatment, but you now are because you now believe that you have a greater risk, even though it's a very negligible greater risk. This particular gene, the risk is very high. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think it's like what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah, Well, that's a completely different thing. But yes. But yes. Yeah. That's when it's something like that. Like I think a lot of the, yeah. But I thought, yeah, I thought that whole use it or lose it sort of thing applied where having kids and actually uh, producing milk did reduce the risk overall for some reason but i guess yeah i don't know um and this ties into something that i was thinking about when i was in portland like three weeks ago because the the longest running open mic in portland i think maybe the longest running on the west coast it was over 15 years and there's none in la that have been going that long now right now that westwood ended oh i don't know yeah anyway whatever it was the last night of this like legendary open mic the same guy had hosted it forever it's the place i started in so many portland comics um and everyone was telling their favorite stories of this place because it was a really weird... It, it's it's in a part of town that's like getting gentrified now, but it's old town Portland. It wasn't right. like a great neighborhood. And it's just this kind of divey karaoke bar that let us do comedy before karaoke on Monday nights. And just so many crazy street characters and things that happened. Like there was one night I was on stage and uh, somebody like ran in excitedly to spread the news that there was a lady out in the street who I guess had just had a kid who was just squirting breast milk into the mouths of anybody who wanted it. And a bunch really? of people went out and tried it. Yeah. And were I didn't, you, there? you weren't there I was there for it, but I was were? on stage and it wasn't, and I was like, I, I think I would have tried. I'm curious what it tastes like. It's strange how that seems so deep. Like we drink milk and yet something like that. It's so, it's so deeply gross, personal to yeah. I'll drink milk from a cow, but not from a woman. <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't you? I totally would have if I'd, if I'd been out there in time. I'm, I really, and then I was telling a friend about that and she was like, well, anybody can, she hadn't had kids. She's like, oh, I asked her, how did it come up? I mentioned it. She's like, oh, I, it, it just tastes kind of sweet. I'm like, how do you know what it tastes like? She's like, I've tasted my own. I'm like, what? You haven't had any kids? And she's like, yeah, you could still make it come out. I was like, wait, I guess I don't, I don't understand women at all. I thought you couldn't. You, you totally, you can, I think over time you can persuade both, <laughs> You can persuade breast tissue to produce milk even if you haven't had a kid, although that vastly overstimulates it. Um, also, men can lactate as well. I've Sometimes. heard that somewhere, but I thought really? it was just a stand-up bit. No, I... it's poten- it is possible. Okay. Uh, just in some men or to train yourself? Like I don't know whether it always works. I don't know whether it's always possible to make this happen. It's like... Sorry, I don't want to go X-ray. No, 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 no. <laughs> I feel like it's like teaching someone how to squirt. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. Whereas, it's like, like, everyone you have can the do potential. It. Like, are you going to tap it. into it? Right. Do you think that's true about squirting that anybody could? I don't know. I know. I as someone dear to me <laughs> can do it, and uh, she didn't know what it was like when it first happened. She was like, "Oh my god, this! I was with this guy, and this happened," and. I was like, well, what is it? Like, it was this thing. Yeah. Was like, so I feel like it's. Remember when you first accidentally gleeked? Yeah. And you were like, oh what my the God, fuck I was gleeked. that? Yeah. Hang yeah. on, what is gleeked? Oh, uh, gleeking. When is- you, like, get a salivary gland to just kind of squirt it, like, from under your tongue, kind of. Like, <laughs> you're, not, oh. you're not pushing spit out that's already in your it, mouth. It you're goes like, like, in a straight- like a straight line from a single like, salivary duct. I don't think this is something I've ever done. You haven't like accidentally moved yeah. your mouth in some way where like it's usually like it's the fleshy shit underneath your tongue that you can kind of like, compress right. and then just make like a little sprinkler. I mean, I can't do it on command. Some people can just kind of like pull their tongue back and go like. Yeah, I guess right. I'm, I guess I'm not a squirter. Yeah, I can't do it on command, but, but once happened. in a while I'll gleek. Yeah. 
And I feel like it might be like that. Like you might just you suddenly. You might just squirt one day. Yeah. yeah or Maybe I could you do might it. lactate. Maybe I could do it if I have the right shaped toy. If you have the right shaped <laughs> toy, you could lactate. Like. We've, I, there's a surprising number of times we've had stories on this show about, because it's always male scientists who just right. can't wrap their heads around it, like debating whether squirting is real, whether it's just urine. Oh, and, really? Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. the Gareth Reynolds episode we from talk, about a year yeah. ago, that, that was a big was? squirting story. I remember that. And then all the women who are ever, if they ever consult an actual woman in the article, they're like, yeah, of course it's real. It's just these fucking male scientists who can't, right. who can't give us this one thing that's kind of magical <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> But I think it's like it's like a similar fluid to prostatic fluid in men. Right? Oh, really? I heard said, uh, it's urine. That's no, what I learned. No, that's on the what show. the male scientist wants you to think. Okay, but well, I, I think... did write on a sex show. Oh, okay. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it, so it's just urine. <laughs> you think it's just urine? That's what. Yeah. Well, then anybody can squirt. I can squirt <laughs> if it's urine. But it's not. But it's a different muscle. I think it might be watered down. But it's like a. You know how your body creates water down your... Water down your... Yeah, no, yeah. but I feel like it's a different muscle that triggers it. Okay. But you think it's still I, just coming I, I, you from know what? I don't know enough about it to be the yeah. authority on it, but when you say the lactation thing, that makes me think, like, it's almost like how we only use a certain percentage of our brain. Like, think of all the things we could probably do with our bodies we could be if we tried. We could be... All the time. We could be lactating out of our donut <laughs> forms. Wasn't that that other Scarlett Johansson movie? Wait, what's <laughs> what's the actual one you're referencing? I'm not was even... it Scarlett Johansson? The 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 ludicrous one re- about a year ago, like the started with the premise of you only used. Oh, Bradley Cooper. I don't know who the wasn't mm. it Brad- Limitless. No, I, I think. No. Well, that was another one. Limitless was like, what if you had a drug that made you do ninety percent instead of ten percent of your brain? And the ten percent thing's been like completely debunked. Really? Like, yeah. Oh, it's complete bullshit. Oh, yeah. someone I just said find it one that time a little and then disappointing. Everyone, I mean, yeah. yeah, it makes it's, you believe in the potential of human. Yeah, it's utter nonsense. But... Firstly, there's there's no part of your brain that you could, particularly not ninety percent, that you could put a metal pole into and still be fine. Well, I mean, Phineas Gage. We've talked. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Which is something else that's come mm. up on the show a remarkable number of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking of Lucy. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Because I always think of the ten percent of your brain thing as a way to like defend psycho psychic ability that's always been kind of my defense of like the well, other 90 must be magic yeah well <laughs> i'm gonna have to, i hate to break this bit to you as well <laughs> i mean I, not uh, to, if you want to believe in it we're not going to be the ones to uh, uh all right <laughs> are you putting a hex on me right now with your no i'm not okay. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely not because if you have those powers <laughs> you you can't use them like that way that's all right not all right okay uh <laughs> Do we have time for one more story? I think? think we do. But before that, I was oh. just going to thank some donors because we've oh, got some idea. donors to thank. Oh. Uh, I'm again, because we don't have them all separated out in the document. Some people are getting double thanks because they were some of the later donors from last time we recorded. Oh, I just put a bunch at the end of the document. Oh, you did? You actually added them? Yeah. Uh, ben Marriott, Brooks Gilmore, James Casson, Tony Johansson, Linda Moulton, Stuart Holding, Zvonimir Kroons, and Catherine Lubiak all did monthly donations. Thank, thank you so very much for much. doing that, guys. Uh, some very generous people some very very generous people in that group as well so thank you very much all of you yes. uh, probably science.com and the donation button is how you can put send in money uh, easier than that though is to just set your Amazon bookmark to our Amazon bookmark that you can find on probablyscience.com and when you click on that before shopping it kicks us back a little portion um, of the sale without costing you anything extra so if you're so already shopping on Amazon it's a no brainer just 
click on our link first, and that helps us out in a huge, yeah, huge way. And they are the two there. best ways to financially support us, and we really appreciate all of you who do either or both of those, and also everyone who spreads the word by tweeting, Facebooking, telling their friends. Uh, we really like that. That is great. Um, hey, um, I think while we're talking about money, this is something that cost a lot of money but has come to an end, and we didn't cover it last week. The Trump campaign? Yeah. <laughs> um the Rosetta mission ah, yes. has ended in a comet collision. So we've covered this quite a bit in its various guises and its various stages. But Europe's Rosetta probe has ended its mission to Comet 67P by crash landing onto the icy object surface. Uh, mission control and da- this was intentional. They planned to crash land. Really? It wasn't a f- yeah. Um, Which is why? Why do they even have to bother? You know, like why can't? You well, just because they'll it? get extra footage and extra information in that last moment. Oh right, right, okay. Mission Control in Darmstadt, Germany, was able to confirm the impact had occurred when radio contact to the aging spacecraft was lost abruptly. The assumption is that the probe would have been damaged beyond use. In the hours before the planned collision, Rosetta sent back a host of high-resolution pictures and other measurements of the icy dirt ball. I can announce... It just sounds like an insult, doesn't yeah. it? The shitty space thing. <laughs> what a loser. Uh, a Trump tweet. I can, uh, I can announce full success of this historic, historic descent of Rosetta towards Comet 67P, says European Space Agency mission manager Patrick Martin. Farewell, Rosetta. You've done the job. That was space science at its best, added Martin. Uh, researchers expect all the data gathered at 67p in the past two years to keep them busy for decades to come. Uh, the loss of signal uh, was greeted by muted cheers and handshakes, not so surprising given the bittersweet nature of the occasion. Some of the scientists watching on, on here had spent the better part of 30 years on this project. People are very sad today, but I think they really understand how proud we are and how proud they should be that we pulled this mission off, said ESA's senior science advisor Mark McCochrane. Uh, throughout Friday morning, the instrument teams had followed every twist and turn as the probe aimed for a touchdown spot on the head of the 44-kilometer-wide duck-shaped comet. The researchers... <laughs> You've seen pictures of I it, right? I love that detail, though. You haven't seen pictures. It does oh. kind of look I like a duck. It, it looks yeah. kind of duck. Like, the researchers had wanted the descending probe to get a look inside one of the many pits that pockmarked the surface. These sinkholes are often the places where 67P ejects gas and dust into space but they also afford an opportunity to look at the object's interior. There it is. Look at that duck. It's sort of like a rubber ducky. Yeah. To see the lumpy ice blocks that might have come together to build the comet billions of years ago. Uh, Some of the images that came back were acquired just seconds before the collision. These pictures will have resolutions that can be measured in millimeters. Uh, And here's how big it would be if it were over LA. Just so you know. This is not big, but it is big, you know. That is. It's pretty big. But I mean, like, compared to... Planets and things. I love this comment from Holger Six, who's the head of the Osiris camera team. Uh, they're super duper, he enthused. <laughs> I've got goosebumps just thinking about all this. Uh, this has this is sixty seven P. How is it? How did it come up with the name? I mean, there's just so many. There's of also them a Russian name for it. To, it says uh, Churyumov. Yeah, it's like a bit of a Tostoevsky. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it's currently <laughs> like a Tolstoy. Yeah. So it's currently Tolstoy. heading away from the sun. This is why they did this. It's heading away from the sun, which is limiting the. I just so- combine Tolstoy with I go Tolstoyevsky. <laughs> it's like uh, War and Peace and Karamazov <laughs> Brothers. Um, it is heading away from the sun, which limits the solar energy available to Rosetta to operate its systems. 
So rather than putting it into hibernation or simply let it slowly fade into inactivity, uh, the mission team determined that the venture should try to go out with a bang. Uh, ESA project scientist Matt Taylor said that even if Rosetta was sent to sleep with the intention of waking it up again, when 67P next visited the brighter environs of this inner solar system, there was no guarantee the technology would still be working properly. And then, how's this for an analogy from, uh, from Matt Taylor? It's like one of those 60s rock bands. We don't want to have a rubbish comeback tour. We'd rather go out in true rock and roll style. Oh, God. <laughs> because it wasn't designed to land, some of its structures very lightly broke on contact with the comet. Uh, controllers left no room for doubt in any case by preloading a software se- sequence that would jump the computers into shutdown when the probe felt a big jolt. I don't, why would they do that? Why wouldn't they just chance it and see if they could get a couple of extra signals? I don't know. Uh, mm. Um... It arrived at... I love that when you read the story, it's like, you're there, Matt. I know. You're like, why wouldn't you just... That does surprise me. Why would you trigger the shutdown? Why wouldn't you just, like... Right, let it close. Um, Rosetta arrived... So it arrived in August 2014 after a 10-year journey from Earth. In that time, it has lived alongside the mountainous object, has unlocked the secrets about its behavior, structure, and chemistry, and it dropped a small robot called Philae on the surface in November 2014 to gather additional information, which is a historic first in space exploration. Do you remember that, Lizzie, when they had, like, they set up Twitter handles for every sub-part of this project? Like, oh, there, really? There was a, you'd see tweets from Filet. I mean, they weren't really from, it was, like, someone writing as, as like, when someone has, like, a Facebook account for their dog. Yeah. You know, so it'd be, if like... If that dog was, like, a billion-dollar t- <laughs> space project. <laughs> but, like, there was the Rosetta... The uh, probe, and there was the fillet lander, and then like they'd be talking to each other on Twitter. Like fillet, be like, "Bye, I'll see you later. I'm going down to the comet." Like they do stuff like that. Um, so the ESA says the mission has been an outstanding success, and will transform our understandings of the huge icy dirt balls that wander among the planets. <laughs> the American scientist Alan Stern, whose Alice instrument has made far ultraviolet observations of the comet to study composition of an- and activity said all the science teams involved still had much work to do. We've got 70,000 spectra. We've barely scratched the surface in terms of looking at the data. Where are these people doing this work? Uh, this is mostly in Europe. Okay. So it's, um, where is the ESA headquarter? It's somewhere in Germany. Yeah, Darmstadt okay. is the, in Germany is mm. the mission control. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's ended. End of Rosetta. It's over. How do you feel about it? It's bittersweet, you know? Mm. It's like graduation. <laughs> Don't cry. We're all going to see each other again. It's just going to be a little while. Uh, By the way, we didn't credit who sent in some of those stories uh, because we're a little bit disorganized. But thank you, everyone who did. We apologize if we didn't credit you this week. But you know who you are, and we really appreciate it. Uh, Yeah, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Are you guys uh, watching the... By the time this comes out, this is going to be really old news. But like the second debate... When we're recording, we're two days out from the Trump... from, from From what has probably now been eclipsed by like five more revelations. But like... From the Billy Bush Trump leak, right? And tonight is the second debate, and I'm so fucking excited. Yeah, well, I know it's gonna be amazing. I have a show tonight. No one's gonna be there. Oh god, no. <laughs> well, no, they no. might. My show, I've got a but, show tonight, but it's um, it's six o'clock, right? Yeah, the, the debate's from six to seven thirty West Coast time. Oh, okay. So you yeah. might be a post- okay. It's at six. So yeah, maybe people will go. Because it's nine nine on the East Coast, nine uh, to ten thirty on the East, right? Okay. 
Um, and speaking of yeah. Trump, we were talking before we recorded. I guess I didn't say this in the show. Yeah, but- we didn't. I didn't know this. I found this out just before we recorded. The reason why you're currently in a different environment, why Bluebell Ranch is no longer. The pool is not there. Donald J. Trump. Yeah. Regardless of whether he, I mean, he's not going to, he's going to lose in a landslide, but uh, he still fucked my life because my landlord sold the house because they were convinced he was going to win and the economy was going to collapse. That's why I had to move. Why my rent doubled and why we record indoors And did they give you that reason? Yeah. After I was already moved out, I was talking to him about, I was like, yeah, it's it's a good idea. Like, I guess, you know, if I owned right now, the market is so crazy high in LA, it's a good time to sell. And he's like... Yeah, and you know, and if and I think you know, with Trump and everything, the economy is probably going to collapse this fall. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, what are you fucking wow. talking about? No. I wish he just said, yeah, the market was high. We wanted to make some money, but um, I actually haven't. I'm curious to see if they were they were asking for a lot of. They were asking for like 1.5 million for that house a week. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's like just renting it. Yeah. No, I mean, like that's. I guess that's just. I haven't tried to house shop in L.A., but just it's right. crazy when you hear the word million. You I know. Expect palatial. You know, I know. My friend was like, I looked at a million dollar house and it had like a crack yeah. right through the center. That they were like, she's like, I don't want a crack in my million dollars. <laughs> just a giant break in the foundation. Yeah, you you came over to pool parties, I think, right? You know, you I see, never you never did. No, I'm kind of oh. like it takes me a while to like arrive. <laughs> My days it. are it's the so valley. It's, it's long. Yeah. It's, it's a tall order to get people over there. Yeah. No, I always wanted to go. I almost made it to the last one. I think I well. put going on the invitation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's as good as actually yeah. being I there. mean, so yeah. in a sense. I but yeah, some pictures I can't believe I missed like, it. It yeah. was a whole era. I know. It was kind of I mean, it wasn't that amazing. It was what, just once a pool. Once a Facebook event is passed, it switches everyone who says going to attended, which is a lie. Oh, yeah. It just oh, goes, it does? Yeah, if you look on a Facebook event that's Religion in the past, history. it goes like, these, these people attended. And you're like, I don't think... Like, in a court of law, would that hold up? Like, I think it would, yeah. That's a, like, a, a rock-solid alibi. Right. Your Honor, if I may approach the base. I was at Dave and Buster's. Facebook. You can yeah. check right here. Your Honor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I checked in. Never been... Uh, oh. Does anybody check in? Does anybody do that? Like, is Foursquare still a thing? Remember I that? started checking in, and then I was like, oh, this is like, now people, you know where to find me. Yeah. Because that's, Killers. there's a difference between being like, hey, I'm performing at this place, and being like, I'm at this place right, right now. now. It yeah. has a different kind of, like, immediacy, and it makes you feel like there's more of a chance that someone crazy is going to Yeah, show. and also, yeah. I, I'm already creeped out by how much of my data Facebook has. And I'm aware right. that minor things that I do make no difference to the grand, picture, grand scheme of things. But I still will... Mm. Like, Facebook has my phone number, and I don't know how, but it keeps asking me to confirm it. To go like, is this your phone number? And it is my <laughs> phone number. But I'm like... I'm not going to confirm. I'm, I want to leave some mystery yeah, in there, even yeah. though you know it right. is, and you're just you're just trying to excuse just some of your creepiness. Me. Is this your phone number? And, like, and I, those fucking ads, when they know yes. it, you just Google it on Amazon, they put a picture of it up in your Facebook feed. Fuck you. I know. You're not supposed to know I needed a folding table. I keep That's seeing for these ads that are like, you won't believe how much information is out there about you. Click here to find out how much secret information <laughs> is already available to the click, public. You didn't like, click on that, though, did you? No. Okay, good, yeah, yeah. But I, I want to. Or have you ever uh, had a phone number from an unknown number and you Google the number and then it's like you find the unknown number and it's like we have all the information on this number. Find out who lives at this number, who breathes <laughs> at this number. Who le- it's like and then 
Yeah, and then you feel like then you're going to be like, am I going to be like on a list of like perverts for looking out of like that's yeah. always the thing is now that my number's be, like, on that list, list of perverts like and for nothing that was even remotely. Well, it's like there's some perverted. scams that are like fake do not call lists, which are like putting your information to add to the yes. do not call. Now they have your information and it wasn't even a do not call list. Well, that was, was always like, yes. when, when spam really started to become a thing. It took people a while to realize. Uh, Oh, don't click on the unsubscribe link at the bottom of a spam email <laughs> right, because that's them. That's actually confirm your email. confirming that it is a real email <laughs> oh. address. That there's a human. I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, if something you can unsubscribe to an actual oh, like newsletter. Yeah, if, if it's got. like right. one of those ones where like somehow various bars or like concert venues or whatever, I'm on their mailing right. list somehow, and I'm like, I never wanted to be on this, but it's like a, it's like a Postmates or, or it's like talking? a, yeah. it's like a Mailchimp mailing list, and you click on that one, you got that will That's unsubscribe okay. yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But I if mean, it's trying to sell you Viagra or right. like with mistyped, misspelled things, and you click on that, that's like no, that's you're you're quadrupling the amount of emails yeah, you're about yeah. to get. How do you tell a show you don't want their emails anymore? Like a show someone's producing. You don't want what? Oh, yeah. Oh, their email, I get oh. emails like come to the show and I'm like I'm a performer there's, oh, I just want to be like stop doing this I don't care who's yeah, at like, we say the a name club in there's a few comedy yeah. clubs where I'm on the punters ma- yes. like I'm on the um, like the audience members mailing list I'm like I don't want to know which of my friends are getting booked in the show that I'm right. not getting there's like also a-, a comedian who I mean I wish we could say the name right now we could but it's maybe it's mean okay, it's, I, it's okay. unnecessary but she's like you know, not a not a successful comic, but right. she's got every comic in town on her mailing list, and she emails everyone to tell about career updates. And Matt and I are always like joking with each other whenever one of us gets. What's one the of those. first initial? I don't know if you can see. Okay. Let's, I'll That's show enough. you afterwards. That was enough. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get these also? How did she get everyone's? I don't. Funniest. I don't know it's if the it's funniest. the same person. We'll, see, we'll talk about it after. Person. It's okay, okay. The emails are the best. It's, yeah, it's um. Just just updating what what's going on in her career, just so we all know. Right. Right. Even saying her gender is probably Those too are, much. Hey guys, I have some big things coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, there's there's I an mean, element to those. Okay, things, I right? wish I were a little more like that. I'm gonna say that yeah. I could be. You're I right, could be right. more proactive. In there's that way. definitely elements to which I look at people who you're like, wow. If I had your hustle, right? If any of my friends had your hustle, right? Uh, like then, holy shit! But yeah, like I'm impressed by that amount of drive and that Do amount you know, of work. Lack of have you listened to? There's like a TED Radio Hour episode where they talk about per, the like per, the value of procrastination and stuff like that. I don't think I need I to listen. Like it's a really good. It's a I'll really watch good it episode. Next week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, Lizzie, where can yeah. our friends and our listeners find out more about you and your work? All right. Two things. First of all, I'm going to be at the Benson Ball in Washington D.C. this year. Nice. Awesome. October 27th. I know um, we have some East Coast. DC yes. and thereabouts listeners. Uh-huh. That's the TIG curated festival. It's always a huge lineup You should of definitely awesome go people. to that. Yeah. There's, they always, do you know who else is it's on? There's always really good um, people, right? Aparna Nanchurla. Awesome. I saw Amber Nelson. Cool. Uh, who else was on there? John F. O'Donnell. Cool. And uh, Michael Ian Black. Great. All right. And a few others. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know the full line. These are literally pe- people's faces who I saw cut and pasted onto. Oh, you're on the uh, most very specialist evening with Tig and Friends. You oh, and Aparna. Good. You're the yeah. first thing that comes up. John Doerr, Bridget Everett, McLean oh, yes. Black, Baron Vaughn. Uh, stuff You Should Know live. Last podcast on the left. Yeah, it's it's always a really great time. When I was there, wait, Weird Al? No, what? No, what? Yeah, holy oh, shit. Oh, right, right, right. Holy shit, Weird Al <laughs> with Malcolm Gladwell, Dave Hill, and more. Holy shit. 
That's amazing. Wow. A UHF live comedy commentary featuring Weird Al. Oh my God, I want to go out for this now. Fuck. Come yeah, on. she always gets some big... Like, last time I was there for that, she uh, she got Ira Glass to do one of the shows. That he was backstage, and he was tap dancing for us. He tap dances. That's incredible. Yeah. Can he actually tap dance, or was it... Yeah, like, he can actually tap dance. Oh, interesting. Someone had to come upstairs, because we were in the, 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 the VIP section of a second yeah. floor of a bar, and they had to come upstairs to tell us to stop tap dancing. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so we had to walk in and see Ira Glass tap dancing and ah. say, I'm sorry, Mr. Glass, please. I also, yeah. here's another thing. I love Snapchat and I have a good one. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's like the only social media I like, actually. Okay, because I still, I have. I, I do, like, I, I make stuff on there. I've hit a wall with, like, that's, that was my social media <laughs> like cutoff. Makes, I'm like, that, really? Yeah. That was when I started. I never really got into, I think because I was yeah. writing on stuff, I was like, I can't tweet. Like, I just felt kind of like getting to my show and like lugging my stuff yeah, yeah like i don't want to do a like, smaller version of my day job for her exactly yeah. but i mean it would i mean i think it would have been useful in some ways okay i have a benefit coming up at the arc light in pasadena tomorrow night october 10th it's for the union station homeless shelter that will have already passed by the time oh, this episode drops. oh right okay well i but mean sucks you to know? be you and missed out on that uh, awesome show you missed it sorry and then some other stuff. I don't know when this is going to drop, but I think Benson Ball is the right amount Benson of time for, definitely. for this to pass. To if you're a Snapchatter, definitely okay. check out. It's at Visit Lizzie, at V-I-S-I-T-L-I-Z-Z-Y. Do I follow you? I don't know. I will after we stop recording. Do you follow um, me, more importantly? I would love to. Can anybody see? I'm, I'm, so, I'm so old with Snapchat. Right. I use it, but I also don't quite understand how like public figures, because don't you have to approve, Is it's supposed to be for friends. You can just it set is. up to be anybody at all can follow you if you but set up some setting. then someone will say, like, follow this person, and then you'll just look, and it'll be like, oh, this many people added you, and you'll see it on your thing. And you don't have to approve. I mean, because, like, the you theoretically, don't have to approve you could, but you could lock it down if you wanted it to only be friends, right? Or yes. only people you approved. Yes, but I have mine. Mine is open. It's just set up to be, uh-huh. okay. I should but no one can see who follows you. Yeah. Well, that's why you can't see. Yeah, you can't see it. So then how would you know like if you, you wanted to post, keep someone bad from... I'm so... You've I feel so them. old. I've, you I've can block done somebody. that a couple times, yeah. Okay. I've received some unsolicited photos on there. Oh, okay. Unsolic- it's a trend. But they can tell that you've screenshotted it, so you just screenshot it and then... And you're like... Oh, and, and they're, they're like, like yeah. why did you oh, no, block no, you? Know and then it you. says, yeah, this yeah. person took a screenshot. And then the person was like, hey. And I'm like, I don't know you. I can't even believe it's come to this point yeah, yeah. in our relationship. <laughs> you are aggrieved at my behavior. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey. How dare you Wait, break they, the they, sacred. Shouldn't they be flattered <laughs> if they're the creepy enough creepy enough to yeah. send an unsolicited uh, DP? Right, right. Shouldn't they pretend to be flattered that you wanted to capture it for some per- I think permanence? In a way they lo- I think in a way they know you're going to do that. Yeah. They yeah. have to know that, you know? Mm-hmm. That's like... Like Anthony Weiner secretly wanted that to happen. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Well, I, I don't secretly wanted, but like thrives on the possibility that it might happen. Yes, yes, exactly. Because like he's probably le- he's probably at least psyched that none of them were bad. As long as it's not a bad dick pick, he's right. like, I'm kind of glad it's out there because everyone knows what I'm. Packing. Now they know. Like, yeah, now, they know. <laughs> yeah. Now anyone who has me on Twitter mm-hmm. is like they'll they'll know. You know what you're getting into, right? Yeah. Anyone who's yeah, that's part of it. Definitely, uh, isn't yeah. it? I still want to see that. I haven't seen that movie yet. I got to check that out. Oh, it's meant to be really good. The Wiener documentary. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen it either. It's supposed to be great. Oh, cool. I want to see that. 
because I think yeah, he ended up being like super candid, and they got all the extra moments that they. I think they didn't. I, they might have even started following him without knowing what the full story was going to be. Like it sort oh. of played out during the course of them. They're filming like, "What's it. under that trench coat?" And then that <laughs> just drops it. It was actually just they're making crap. a documentary about underwear, and then realized that there was a senator inside it. <laughs> there was a senator and three little senators that he was on top of. <laughs> um. If this will this drop before the seventeenth? I think I'll, I'll make sure it does. I'll do it the early. Awesome, early on. Uh, yeah. San Francisco. Uh, I mentioned this in the last couple of episodes, but I would really love you to come if you live anywhere near San Francisco. And if you don't, please send your friends. I will be at Doc's Lab, which is the former Purple Onion, now called Doc's Lab, and I will be doing my show there on Monday, the seventeenth of this month. And I'll be doing a couple of other shows around the bay, but like that's the one I would particularly love you to come to. Um, so yeah, Doc's Lab on the 17th, come yourself or send your friends uh, or do both. You know, Like if you live nearby, don't just send your friends and stay at home yourself, but do that. Doc's Lab. D-O-C. Okay, I was thinking like this repeated duck theme. Oh, duck. That's like the third time. I heard hallucinated. Yeah. I heard, yeah. Well, maybe maybe I mispronounced it in the last right. episode. Yeah. That was, yeah. yes. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Doc, D-O-C-S, mm-hmm. with an apost- D-O-C apostrophe S. The okay. lab of a doctor, I presume. Love it. Uh, but yeah, come to that. Uh, I'll be doing stand up. Uh, there's some other really funny people on the bill, uh, but I'll be doing an extended set and that'll be really fun. So I would love you to come to that. Uh, and then you can follow us at Probably Science. You can follow us individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Mm-hmm. And also you can follow at Jesse Case and listen to Jesse versus Cancer. And you are at. Podcast. Lizzie at uh, at Lizzie Cooperman cool. for everything else, but and at visit Lizzie first for Snapchat. Snapchat. And I I make avant garde films on Instagram at avant gram a v a n t underscore g r a m. Do that. All right. I didn't know any of this. I gotta go. I gotta go and see follows here. <laughs> that is awesome because you're a very funny person. Yes. I will be checking that out. Thank you. Thank you so much. For Thanks this. for having me. Thank you. Yeah. And we will see you guys next week. Yep. Peace.